Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. message a couple of things i want to share with you first of all check this out see this picture right here how many of you would like to see inside of it before we move in come on anybody Woo! all right we've got a chance here's what we're going to do you know when you build a building from the ground up you do one of those traditional groundbreaking ceremonies where you go out there and you dig a big hole right where the stage is going to go and you put a bible in the ground as like like a cornerstone you do all that kind of stuff and you sing some praise songs and it's an awesome time the problem is our building was already there and we opted not to put a big hole in it more than we already had to with the plumbing kind of stuff, you know? And so here's what's going to happen. The, the contractors have gotten it to a point where they, they promise we're actually going to have, like, access into the building. They say there'll be glass in those holes, and we might even have the steps that go to the main entrance. By March 18th, two weeks from today, and they've said that we can come in and we can go on the stage. Yep, there's going to be a stage there already built, and we're going to be able to do a couple of worship songs and have a prayer-slash-dedication time where we can go and write prayers on the walls and the stage and all of that sort of stuff all around the building. And so then when we close it all up, all of those are always inside the building. Kind of a cool thing, right? Come on, you guys excited for this? And so you need to be thinking about, you know, what verse you want to write or what prayer you want to write. You know, be talking to God about this because here's the deal. If you have a heart for kids, you're going to go down the nursery and you're going to find one of the nursery classrooms or the G-Kids classroom and you're going to write on one of those walls or something like that. And then we're going to catch you and sign you up for the the G-Kids team. Just kidding, but not. We're going to catch you writing about worship stuff on the stage. We're going to put you on the worship team. And uh, anyway, just kidding. No. Uh, We're going to pay attention to where you write and the prayers you write. Seriously, go ahead and please, please, please put this down on your calendar. It's going to be an awesome day. And what's cool is we're going to stand in an auditorium that is big enough for all three services to come together. That's just going to feel awesome, isn't it? It's going to be fun. 3.30, two weeks from today, March 18th, and then uh, next week we'll do a building update, talk more about uh, getting into the building and those sorts of things. Second thing, real quick, just to remind you, uh, first step is tonight. You just heard that announcement. Look, if you're new to Grace Life, I want to invite you to come out. We've got child care. We've got food. You've got no excuse. There you go. And uh, we would love to get to know you, let you get to know us, find out if this is the church for you. For those of you that are not a guest and you have not yet been the first step, then come on, man, let's do this thing. Come out tonight, get involved, figure out what your next step is. Okay, cool. All right, here we go, everybody. We are on the final part of a series we've been doing called Off the Wheel. And and the idea came from the hamster. It's about our financial lives, getting to a point where we don't feel like we're going around and 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 getting nowhere but getting off of the will, finding financial freedom. And so with that, I want to point out something that starts tomorrow night. We waited until the whole series was was over so that we could start a new life group. Tomorrow night, we have Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University kicking off here. It is not too late for you to get involved. You can sign up on the website, on the app, or drop by the white tent on your way out the door. I've already been told, I was just told by the leader in the last service, this is our largest Financial Peace University class ever here at Grace Life. That's how many people are excited about it. So if you're afraid of being like, you know, one in a small crowd and people picking on you, no, 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 this is the time to come. All right, so come out, join that tomorrow night, uh, sign up for that. So here we go. We've done the series in a framework of time. 
So we started out talking about yesterday, saying how we're haunted by our yesterdays. When we get up, we're still paying for them. The idea was, well, let's get out of debt. Let's get to where we're not haunted by our yesterdays. Then in part two, we talked about today. And the idea was living within our means, being content with what God's provided for today and learning to deal with the sources of discontent when we're not pleased with what God has given us for today. And then we talked in part three about tomorrow. That is dealing with potential catastrophe or disaster, being prepared for that, but then also being set up for our future. We want our last days to be better than our first so we can be more generous on our way out of earth than we were while we were here. Come on, anybody want to be better in your last days than your first? And so today with part four, we told you we would wrap that up with the idea of eternity. What in the world does eternity have to do with our finances? Well, we're going to get to that in just a minute. So we've been doing a little audience participation, crowd participation uh, every week. If you would pull out your phones, pull up the Grace Life app, uh, tap on off the wheel. We've got two questions for you today. And before I read these two, I'm going to go ahead and remind you, this is anonymous. Nobody can track you down. So we don't know who you are. So answer honestly. Our two questions today is number one, are you familiar with the concept of tithing? And then number two, do you regularly give 10% of your income to God? Do you regularly give 10% of your income to God? Let's take it away with the music there. Boom. You'd think I would have worked up a dance in these four weeks and been ready for this. That's all I got. We need Dick Van Dyke. He could have done that. That's his moment right there. All right, let's see where we are here. 70, oh, 80% of, oh, where are we? Go back to the first question. We're on the wrong question there. Question before that, are you familiar with the concept of tithing? 96% say, yep, okay. 96% of you can go to lunch. I'm just kidding, don't do that. And 4%, it's a new idea. How about our second question? Uh, do you regularly give 10% of your income to God? Okay, I'm gonna change that. 96% of you cannot go to lunch. 79% of you can go to lunch. Come on, y'all gotta laugh. Everybody's like, he's talking about money. I'm scared. Okay, no, no, it's okay. 79% of us say yes, 12% of us say no, and 9%. Cool, 9% say, I really wish I could. Hold that thought. We're going to see what we can do about that. So here's the thing. I grew up like many of you probably. I went to church my entire life. Every time we went to church, my parents took a check. I, I did not know what it was for. I didn't know what the point was. I just knew that they gave money every time they went. I don't know how big the check was. I didn't, I didn't know anything. I went off to college, and then I felt God called me to be a missionary. So I actually raised support as a missionary. And I actually had churches help me go to the mission field. And I was not tithing because I didn't know what tithing was. I probably wasn't even giving, to be honest, because I was a poor college kid who had now decided to be a missionary. I mean, poor college kid, missionary. <laughs> Neither one of those are exactly wealthy. And so then I came back home from the mission field, and I became a volunteer youth minister. And I was a volunteer youth minister in the church. And for the first time in our 20s, we were newly married in our 20s. The pastor stood up and he taught about tithing. And here's one of his staff members, me, sitting there going, really? That's in the Bible? Fortunately, since I was the youth minister and most of them don't have jobs, I had not failed to teach them the things they needed to know just yet. But I had no clue. I didn't know anything about it. For me, the idea that how I handled my finances here and now could affect there and then was a foreign idea to me. And many I meet every single day don't know either. Matter of fact, I happened upon a conversation, true story, between a couple of Grace Life people uh, just a few months ago. 
And these two people were having this conversation, didn't realize that, you know, my office is kind of like right there in the lobby. I can hear everything and people can hear it. It's just kind of how that works. So, and, and, and one of them said, what do you mean 10%? Don't worry, one of them got offended at the other, but I wasn't involved. Nobody was mad at me. And one of them said, what do you mean 10%? The other one explained that. And the other one said, I thought tithing was just the word for when we take up money. And so it shows me this. Number one, there are people who have heard about it. They know what it is and they do it. But then there are also people who have heard about it and they they know what it is, but they don't do it. And I don't want to make you feel bad if that's where you are this morning. I don't want anybody to get up and walk out and go, oh my gosh, she's here to condemn me. No, 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 that's not the case. Because here's the thing. All that simply is is an issue of surrender in your life. And I don't want you to feel bad if you are still working on the idea of surrendering your finances, because I think everyone in this room is struggling to surrender something. You know, people come in and they, they recognize who Jesus is, what he's done for them, and they say, oh man, thank God, Jesus died for me. I, I'm going to serve him. And we've had people, the week after they make Jesus their king, join a team and say, I can stand at the door for three hours and shake hands. I can do every service, no problem. Jesus died for me. That's easy. I can do that. So somebody could come in and say, I can serve all day long. But they can't give up the boyfriend or the girlfriend that they know is leading them to do something God wouldn't be happy with. It's just an issue of surrender. Somebody else, on the other hand, comes in and they say, oh, oh, look, look, God has blessed me. I I can write checks. I can help out. I can send the youth on that trip. I can do this. But their time is very valuable, and they don't serve or can't find time to serve. And it's just an issue of surrender. And then there's someone else. We, we recognize who God is, and so we say, man, I, I need to get to know God. So every morning we sit down and we, we pull out our Bibles and, and we read our Bibles and we pray and we talk to God and we've got this one-on-one thing going with Him. But when it comes time to sit down in a small group with some other believers, we, we just can't do that. It's just an issue of surrender. So look, if you are still working on surrendering your finances, no condemnation. Can I, do you trust me when I say that? No condemnation. That is not what we're here to do. And then I've discovered there's a third group of people, as we just saw in the statistics, there are people who don't know. I grew up not knowing, even though I went to church. So what I would like to do today, if it's okay, and hopefully it is, I want to offer a no pressure, no obligation explanation of how God says our giving here and now can affect there and then. Is that okay? No pressure. All right, so the first question that somebody would probably say is, Jimmy, I know you're a preacher, but that definitely sounds a little preachy. That's stretching it a little that what I do right now actually changes eternity. Come on, that sounds a little like a pastor made that up, doesn't it? Don't raise your hands. Just make me feel good. It's okay. But I'm going to share with you something Jesus preached. It's his most famous sermon. It's called Sermon on the Mount. And here's what he said. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Okay, so big ladder? (laughs) I mean, come on, how do you get that? How do you lay up a treasure in heaven where Jesus says neither moth nor rust destroys and thieves do not break in and steal? How can you do something now that is creating a treasure in the future when nothing goes with us? I mean, you guys know this, right? Nothing goes with you. Your cars don't go with you. All of the hobbies, all of the things you're doing, they don't go with you. Your stuff doesn't go with you. Even your favorite outfit that you hope you're wearing the day you die, it ain't going with you nothing goes with us, right? Wrong. You know what goes with us from here to there? Souls. Lives. People. And the number one vehicle 
for getting souls from here to there is the church. And so when we talk about the church, I want to make sure you understand what we're talking about. The church is the family of God on the earth. It is anyone who says, Jesus Christ is my king. It is anyone who says, I am following God because Jesus died for me. You automatically, no membership fee, were just joined to the church, Big C Church. I'm not talking about Grace Life Church. I'm not talking about Sand Hills Community Church or Vive Church or First Baptist Church or First Presbyterian Church. I'm not talking about the, no, I'm talking about God's church, his family on the earth. You are automatically a part of it. And Jesus gave that church, every one of his followers, a mission. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations for all time, every single one of us. It wasn't just those guys 2,000 years ago, it's you and me now. Here's what he means by that. Look, everyone who is my follower is in my family. And what I want you to do is go and bring as many other people into that family as possible. And so when we are financially a part of that happening, that is how what we lay up here ends up affecting eternity, which is why God wrote what most of you are familiar with, and if you're not, I'm going to share this with you. It's the most famous passage in the Bible to teach on the idea of tithing. It comes out of Malachi 3, and I'm only going to read a small portion of it today, actually. But it says why I think God wants us to know this. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. So the first thing I want to make sure we understand is this. Everywhere in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end, any time that God is speaking and he uses the two words, my house, he's always referring to the place where he's worshipped, which back then might have been a temple, it might have been a synagogue, and today it would be known as the church. Any place where God is exalted, where he is worshipped, where his people come together to say this is the church, this is where we worship him. Now, look, we've made a pretty big deal here at Grace Life. I said, this is a building, right? The church is people. We get that. But anytime that we come together as people. And so what is this food that he's talking about? Well, the first is obvious. It's a spiritual food that you will find in the temple of the church. Something like this. It's the teaching of the gospel. It's any time that we tell people, that's why people ask us sometimes, why do you do communion every week? And I say, because we don't get to do it the other six days. You see, it's a pretty good time once a week, one day out of seven, that we get to say, Jesus died for you. And this is what he was doing. Like Kent was talking this morning, Jesus isn't sad about it. He's saying, this is awesome because I'm alive and I died for you, but I rose again so that you can have eternal life. That is the spiritual food. When we sit down with someone as pastors and we help someone with a problem in their lives or their marriage and a marriage that's out the door almost, and then suddenly it's back together. That is spiritual food. When we disciple people, when we do anything that teaches people how to grow closer to God and how to follow him, that is spiritual food. But there's more to it than that because there's also a, a practical food. It's whatever we do to make a practical difference in the lives of people. When we give the benevolence, when we go out into the community, we do outreaches where we pay for everything. We were able to do it just last week. I'm going to tell you a really cool story because you end up being a part of this. So we had someone who I met last week for the first time. It was a new family had just started coming to church and they invited someone who needed help. And so this new family I never even met, they'd only been here a couple of weeks. They came up to me outside and they said, hey, I've invited someone to church today and, and I've told them that we'll be able to help them. Will we? <laughs> they were so new, they didn't know. But the family they were inviting, here's the story. They had come across them as they were out doing stuff the day before on Saturday, and they had found this family with these two young kids living out of their vehicle. 
And so they had personally gone ahead and put them in a hotel, given them money for food, and said, if you'll come to church with me tomorrow, I, I think our church will be able to help you. So when they came up to me, they said, can we help? And we said, yes, absolutely. When they get here, just introduce us. And so then they, they made a time to come back in on Monday. Kent met with them, and the car wasn't working, so we took them down to the shop, and we dropped off the car. We brought them back here. And then we, we helped them get into a hotel until they were able to get a job interview. And so in that week, we were able to provide a hotel, able to provide meals, able to get their car fixed. So they were able to get to Charlotte to get a job, and they are now not living out of their car. Come on. You see, when you tell somebody, God loves you, but God's people are so stingy, how do they believe that? When you say, God wants something better for your life, but I'm not giving you any money as you live in your car. You see, it's spiritual food, but it's practical food. And that is when you can look at them and say, by the way, do you know, do you know how much God loves you? I mean, yeah, way more than taking care of your car. Way more than a hotel bill. That's when you can help people. That's when you can make a difference. That's how our giving here and now is eternal and souls will be in heaven as a result of that. Now, here's what I think is cool about the goodness of God. God could have stopped right there. Read that again. God could have stopped right there. God could have said, hey, I saved you. You're going to heaven. What more do you want? Now, here's what I want from you. Take care of my house. I want food in my house. But he didn't stop there. This shows the goodness of God that he went on, and here's what he continued saying. And thereby put me to the test. Right, right after he said the other part, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. And he gives two I wills, two promises. Number one, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Here's what he says. If you will take care of my house, I'll take care of yours. Are you kidding me? You already saved my soul. Yep but I'm even going to take care of how you live until you get to heaven. If you will take care of my house, I'm taking care of yours. You know, it seems like good math sometimes to do just the opposite. Every time I teach a series like this, one part undermines the other. I'll have somebody come to me and go, Pastor, I love that sermon you did on yesterday and getting out of debt. So I've decided to take all the money that I was giving extra, all of the stuff I was giving to missionaries and to the church, and I'm going to pay my debt, and I'm going to get out of debt. Thank you for that sermon. And I'm going, no! <laughs> you missed at least one point out of the many that I made. Because here's the thing. Yes, the math makes sense. Take some money over here, put it over there, you're going to get out of debt faster. But it usually doesn't work. What ends up happening a few weeks later, they're saying, you know, somehow I'm not getting anywhere. I think suddenly I have a few more bills, and the math is just funny. And here's the reason for that. Because when we make that decision and the math looks good, what we're saying is, God, I'm going to take care of my house only. And God says, well, then, okay, you just do that. And he's no longer a part of helping us take care of our house because we're taking care of his. His second I will was this. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. What does that mean? The vine and the field fail to bear fruits of your soil. Is the grass going to grow green because I'm tithing? I mean, going to have a nice lawn? What, what are we talking about? Many people, they, they read this language and they think because it's so agrarian, it's written to like a farmer, they're saying, this is irrelevant to me today. But what you need to understand, when this was written, this was everyone. 
There were no computer programmers thousands of years ago. No one had that job. There, there were no police officers. There, there, were, there were nobody you know, doing half of the jobs. Maybe 90% of the jobs we do today, they didn't do. Everybody grew, and what they grew was their income because they either ate it or they fed it to their animals so they could eat the animals or they used it to trade in some other way. It was what you grew was your income. And God is saying, I'll rebuke the devourer so that it will not destroy your source of income. It will have nothing. Here's what you need to know. You have an enemy. Can't lose sight of that. You have an enemy if you have declared to serve God with your life. You have an enemy. He's a spiritual enemy. He is an enemy to our faith. He's an enemy to our worship. But you know what else? He's a practical enemy. He's an enemy to your well-being. He's an enemy to God's plan for your life. The minute that you say, God, I'm going to serve you, he does everything he can till the day you go to heaven to stop you from succeeding in that plan. You know, the Bible tells us that before the foundation of the world that God prepared you and me to walk in good works. There are specific things that Kent is going to do, specific things that Lane is going to do, specific things that Christian's going to do, specific things that every single one of you is going to do. And the minute you say, yes, God, I'm going to do that, the enemy says, oh, heck no. And he is going to stand against you every single moment of your lives. You have an enemy, a practical enemy. He's an enemy to God's provision for our lives. And he is absolutely an enemy to us experiencing the goodness of God for our lives. But here's God's promise. He will deal with the enemy if we take care of his house. He will take care. No longer do you have to get into a fist fight with the devil. No longer is it, well, finances aren't going well. I better get out of bed early and do a few extra rebuke in the devil prayers. No, you don't have to do that. All you have to do is take care of God. God takes care of you. If. You see, if is such a powerful word. We, we're, we're notorious for loving the promises of God. You know, people have made those cute little books that you give out to people or you kind of have in your bathroom or wherever, those lots of little one-liners on the promises of God. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And God's going to do this for us, and God's going to do this for us, and God's going to do this for us. And it's kind of like my kids. Daddy's going to feed me. Daddy's going to feed me. Daddy's going to buy me stuff. Every time I go to Target, Daddy's going to feed me. I don't ever have to do anything. And that's the way we read the promises of God, but the reality is... We're missing a little something because virtually every promise of God in the Bible comes with an if. And they're not complicated. They're not tough. Most of them go like this. This is my plan for you if you'll just be my people. I want the best for you. I want all nations to call you blessed if you'll just do my way, not that God's way. If you'll just be my people. If you'll just hear my words. It's really simple, but if is such a powerful word. So let's go back to Jesus' teaching, and maybe it'll explain a little bit more about why God would want us to do this. He said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And he finished with this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Most people I know quote that backwards because they think it's actually backwards. Where your heart is, there your treasure is. Oh, I love my college. It was a great college, so I give to the Alumni Association. I like this, so I'm going to invest in this. Oh, I, I really believe in the Red Cross. They're doing a great job. They really helped me when my house was flooded here in Columbia a few years ago, so, so I give to the Red Cross. My giving follows my heart. But God says, actually, your heart follows your giving which is what comes back in stuff we talked about earlier in the series. Why does God sometimes not give us more? Because our heart follows where our money goes. 
And if our money goes to support our materialism, then our heart keeps going down the road of materialism. If our money goes to support coveting what everybody else has, then our heart will continue to covet what everybody else has. And you know where God wants our hearts? In his house. God wants us to care. When we stand up here and say, I don't know the number now. We actually, it's, it's grown since the last time I said it, like two weeks ago. But I remember the first six weeks of the year when we were midway in February, we had seen 22 people make Jesus their king. God wants you to care. Not just because, oh, goody, 22 people going to heaven, that's sweet. No, not like that. But like, yes, because of my house, because of my giving, because of my involvement, 22 people are going to be in heaven, and I'm going to give them a high five when I get there. That is awesome. That is what God, God wants our heart in his house so that we're a part of what he's doing. So look, what we have to do today is just really a very simple thing. We have to make a decision like the the question we said earlier. I don't remember the percentages because I've done two services now, but there was a percentage that says, yep, I'm doing it. There was a percentage that said, no, and honestly, I'm, I'm okay with that. You're on a journey, that's cool. But then there was a group that said, I wish I could. I wish I could tithe. I wish I could do this. You've got to decide for yourself. Do you want to be in the group that says, I want my giving here and now to make a difference there and then? If so, did you catch this part? Same passage. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. You know what's funny about God? He knows exactly what we're like. He's like, I'm going to write a bunch of scriptures on forgiving because y'all are really good at holding a grudge. I'm going to write it in this. I'm going to write it in that. Jesus is going to talk about it. Paul's going to talk about it. I'm going to really help because we're not real good at forgiving. Y'all could have laughed at that one. That was the easy one. And he says, I'm going to add the word full tithe, which is, by the way, redundant. Do y'all understand? That's redundant. Why? Why do you need to put both words in there? Tithe means 10%, not 9.8, not 1.2, not 11 point whatever. It should have been sufficient. Except God knows us. He knows us well. And he points out, look, full. Don't round up. Don't round down. Ten. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And then he says, some of you have heard this before. The only place in all of Scripture, in all of history, God says this to his people. And test me. You do that and test me. And see if it will show up. And so here's what we want to do. If you're in the group that says, I wish I could, we want to help you. At least we want to help you try. God says to test you, we want to help you test him. Here's another passage in the Bible that says, if any of you needs healing, go to the elders. Ask them to pray for you, anoint you with oil, and lay hands on you. You know why that is? It's because you've already prayed. You prayed once, you probably prayed twice, you might have prayed ten times, you might have prayed every day for a month, you might have prayed hours, and your body has not changed. And honestly, you've started to kind of lose faith. Let's be for real. There's only so long that you can keep asking God to heal you that you begin to think he's either not going to or your prayers don't work. And that's usually about the time you show up and say, hey, can we get the elders together and have them pray for me? No one in all my history of pastoring has ever come to me and said, I have yet to pray on my own. I want the elders to pray for me first. They always come and say, I want the elders to pray with me when they're at the end of their rope. Because what they are saying is, I need your faith. My faith is gone. My faith is at least waning. 
I'm not sure that God is going to show up and heal me, so I'm coming to you. I want your faith. You're the most mature people in the church according to Scripture. I want your faith to cry out for my healing. And so at Grace Life, what we've done is we've taken that concept and we've added it to the fact that God says, if you'll do this, test me. And we've merged them together into what we call the 90-day tithing challenge. On the back of your seats, you'll see this card if you're interested. And what this does is we allow you to test God for 90 days, give God 10% of your income. And when people say the church just wants my money, see who does this. If you don't think that God shows up on your behalf, we'll give it all back. Because this is not between you and us. This is between you and God. No, there's no fine print that says you have to say this or meet with a pastor or give us your budget. No. The only thing you have to do is say, I want it back. Because if God doesn't show up and defend himself, I'm not worried about it. If God doesn't do what he said he would do, it's not my problem. But for those of you that said, you know what, I wish I could, you've never got a better chance. God promises you can test him, and we're going to help you do it. We're going to literally, you don't even have to honestly have much faith on your own. You don't even have to be in a church where you're like, all right, I'm going to give it a try and see how this works. You can give it a try and see how it works, knowing you can get every penny back. I'm not sure how that works on the faith meter, but I'll leave that between you and God there. Now, some of you are probably asking the question at this point. Wait a minute, Jimmy. All right, so I don't, I don't do 10%, but I do some. And maybe for you it's five, maybe it's three, maybe it's just whatever cash you have with you at the time. Maybe it's however God moves your heart, and, you, and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, so you're telling me that because I'm giving something less than 10 and not tithing, that, that my here and now is not making a difference there and then. I'm not having that kind of impact on eternity? No, that is not what I am saying. Let me be very clear. If you give anything, what you are doing is making a difference. This is not just for tithing. Because see, here's what we do. We believe that everybody should not just take care of their house, but God's house. We believe everybody should be tithing. But we believe that's also true of this house. And so Grace Life, every Monday morning when our bookkeepers and the people come together, they take 10% of everything that's given on Sunday, and they set it aside. Actually, this year it's 11, because we found something else we wanted to give to in missions, and we couldn't decide which one to cut, so we decided just to give 11. So 11% of everything that will be given here every single Sunday is set aside that we cannot use for this house. We can't use it for salaries. We can't use it for chairs or lights or electric bills. It has to go out there. It has to go to people that we find living out of their car. It has to go to mission trips to send people to hot and sandy places to talk to other people about God. It has to go to do something that doesn't help us. We're not asking you to do something that we wouldn't do, but here's the point. So if you only give a dollar, part of your dollar went into the fund that helped that family get off of the street. No matter what you are doing, if you only gave $2, part of your $2 paid for the outreach where somebody got saved. You, no matter what you are giving, are getting a spiritual inheritance with eternity. Is that cool? Come on, y'all should be excited for that, right? So what's the point of tithing? That's between you and God. See, tithing is where you say, you know what, God? I'm going to honor you. You are my provider. 
And I'm going to do what your word says. This is you doing what you believe God's word is challenging you to do. I've never met a person yet who said, oh, only 10%. I didn't even need that 10%. That's easy. Come on. I, got, I don't even want 10%. I spend 50 and I'm bored. I've yet to meet that person. And I've met millionaires. See, the truth is for every single one of us, it's a test. God, can I trust you? Can I trust your word? That's why this is so important for you, not for the rest of us. Think about what Jesus said. You know, some, so one of these days I'm going to teach on tithing. It's going to be the shortest sermon you ever heard. I'm going to give you 29 and a half minutes to go to lunch early because I'm just going to walk in and say, Jesus said, yes, you should tithe. I spent the whole morning trying to help you understand why does God want us to do it? What's the benefit of it? What will God do for us if we do that? But in all honesty, Jesus said, yep. <laughs> kind of should be able to do a mic drop and just walk off. Here's the point. That's the, the reason that we go beyond giving to tithing. It's about honoring God. If you want a risk-free opportunity, this is on the back of the chair in front of you. You're never going to get a better chance. The elders are going to pray for every name that we get every single day for 90 days. We're going to stand with you. I want to take a moment and share a story from someone who took this challenge the last time we did. But just to make sure you understand, and if you're watching this on the internet a little bit later, this challenge isn't just for today, it's for any day. These are in our information center. You can get this online on our website. Any day that you ever say, God, I'm going to test you. I'm going to start 90 days right now. You can do that. And we're always here to stand with you risk-free. Check out this story. The 90-day challenge is a step up to start tithing the full 10% off of your gross and to watch and pray and see what God will do. When Jimmy challenged us to go ahead and do a full 10%, he was real specific with his numbers and I was a little sloppy in my in my tithing and I'd been tithing on the net and hadn't been tithing specifically to the church and I just felt the Holy Spirit tug at my heart saying you need to be doing this more thoughtfully and and said okay I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do it for 90 days and Lord you just show me what it is you need me to learn but I kept realizing that I had more money than I should have had and I'm not talking ten dollars surplus but like thousands of dollars extra I was able to gift a friend um, I was able to pay down my mortgage a couple of extra times, um, significant amounts. The extra tithe was not ever a, a problem. We need to take God at his word and ask and watch him do what he wants to do. That's between you and God. He says, test him risk-free. You've literally got nothing to lose. He either shows up or you can have it all back. Pretty cool. You might be putting some dots together at this point as we close out the series and say, okay, but what does eternity have to do with getting off the wheel? I mean, the others are a little more obvious, right? Yesterday, get out of debt. If you're out of debt, you're not constantly on the wheel. You're getting ahead. If you, if you learn to live with what you have today and be content, then you aren't going into debt and getting yesterday's accumulated. And you're probably being able to set aside some for tomorrow. And if you're preparing for tomorrow, your last days will be better than your first and a catastrophe won't catch you off guard. I get it. Those are easy to see how if we do those things, those three points of practical godly wisdom, you get off the wheel. 
But what does is, what is eternity have to do with getting off the wheel? So here's the answer. The three things we just mentioned, stay out of debt, be content, and prepare for tomorrow, anybody can do that. Even non-believers can do that, and they can get off the wheel. But what if you can add to those practical steps a supernatural component? The blessing of God rebuking the devourer for you. What if you can add something supernatural to natural math? That's why this is part of the series of getting off the wheel. So I want to challenge us as a church to be a group of people who spend here and now to make a difference there and then. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, eternity. Let's get off the wheel. I want to close by talking to a group of people who have yet to make Jesus first. And it's not in your finances. It's just first. You see, at some point, every single one of us needs to recognize what Kent was talking about during communion. Jesus died for you. He died for you, and he's waiting for every single one of us to say, thank you. Because you died for me, I want to live for you. I want you to be first in my life. You are now why I live. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you, make you come down front or anything like that. Just right where you're seated. I'm going to help you begin a conversation with him. Would you all join me? And pray right where you're seated. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. I want you to be first in my life. And my simple prayer here today is that you give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.